Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to a championship level. Listen, if you thought Buckeye Talk was good before, this is a championship level Buckeye Talk. It might not be as good as Badger Talk, but it's the best talk in the eastern half of the Big Ten, at least. It's better than Hoosier Talk. It's better than Terp Talk. It's better than Scarlet Night Talk. We know that. Mm-hmm. You know what? Actually, those guys. I didn't. So we the team. This website that covers Rutgers is NJ.com. That is a sister site to Cleveland.com. So we know those guys. We talk to those guys. We work with those guys sometimes. They did their wrap up Rutgers podcast, and I did not listen to it. But they said they sang karaoke during it. Uh, really? That's Keith Sargent, Ryan Dunleavy, and Steve Politi. <laughs> Two of the three sang karaoke, and the other one said he was going to turn the podcast off. So if we get desperate tonight, that's out there. But I don't think we'll get desperate. We have a lot to talk about. Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, Doug Maurice, your Cleveland.com coverage team. We're going to get into playoff talk off the bat. But then we'll get away from that because a lot of it's self-explanatory. And if you read Cleveland.com or watch our videos on Cleveland.com, you know where we stand. And I think most Ohio State fans have an understanding of what the deal is. Um but we want to talk about Wisconsin because it is not a sure thing they're going to beat Wisconsin. Not at all. We will get into the Greg Schiano Tennessee situation a little bit. Uh, have some rants there. But I don't think that has really any effect on Ohio State's preparation for this game. So we don't want to spend too much time on it. It's kind of interesting. We have some things to shout about. But the priority is Ohio State and Wisconsin which we now know are the number four and number eight teams in the country in the latest college football playoff rankings. They will meet on Fox in Indianapolis on Saturday night. Um, And did the playoff rankings that were released on Tuesday night change anything about what we were thinking, Bill? Does it just reaffirm what we thought, which is basically if Ohio State wins, this is going to come down to Ohio State versus Alabama, and you don't know which way it's going to go. Do we glean any info from what the committee did on Tuesday? No, I, I think it's about the same for me. I made a comment to you in the press box in Michigan, I think, that I just felt like I figured there would, there would be eight because Notre Dame – or no, I didn't know at that point, but I figured it was possible they were eight if Notre Dame would have lost, and they did. Um Moving from eight to four seems like a very wide jump to me, and I want you to explain to the people the way you explained to me why moving from eight to four is not a crazy jump to make. Um, I can't remember. Who's six? Six is Georgia. Okay, so six is playing two, so if six loses, 
Six is gone. Seven is Miami. Seven is playing one. So if seven loses to one, seven's gone. So that moves you up to seven. That moves you up to six. You're going to beat number four to continue this discussion. So now you are at least number five, and now you're in the battle with the current number five to be number four. So four, six, and seven have lost, and you are in the battle. The battle is between five and eight for the number four spot. Now, if number seven, Miami, beats number one, Clemson, or number six, Georgia, beats number two, Auburn, then we can assume that that one and two team are going to fall down the same way. You know, so it's... It's a great round okay. of conf- of conference title games. If we want to get into a discussion, three loss Auburn's not getting in. No. Okay. Like if we want to get into a discussion of would it actually if Miami beats Clemson, would it actually be a three-way fight between two loss Clemson, non-champ, one loss Alabama, non-champ and two loss Ohio State champ to get in? That are we sure Clemson would fall from one to all the way out with a loss? I guess we could have that discussion, but all that is to me is expanding the current discussion, which is Alabama and Ohio State. They both have pros, they both have cons, and you don't know what the committee's going to do. If you want to make that a three-way discussion, I guess you can, but you still would come to the conclusion of you don't know what the committee's going to do. I, I agree. I mean, I look at what's happening on Saturday. The three the three playing games to me look like the ACC title game, the SEC title game, and the Big Ten title game. Those are basically win and you're in games. And teams like Alabama are hoping that TCU can upset Oklahoma because if that happens, then you could see a situation where the tide get back in. But those other three games basically win and you're in situations. I mean, I disagree with that. Well, in some ways they are, but... I mean, Ohio... I don't. I would not at all call Ohio State winning. You're in. No. So you. Th- I mean, like, but you're you're strong enough on Ohio State. Do you think if Ohio State, if you're saying winning, they're in. You mean you think if Ohio State wins, they're in. That's what you think. Well, there's only going to be one lot. If no, we know what the discussion is. We don't have to relitigate the pros and cons because everybody knows though knows them. It's just your everybody's individual view of the situation. Where you stand now is you think Ohio State is not really a discussion with Alabama. You think if Ohio State wins, they're in. That champ is a tiebreaker, and especially if Georgia wins, because then you go up to Alabama and like you lost to a three-loss football team. Okay, that's also not winning. They're in though, because now because well, winning they're in no. is winning they're in. Winning they're, they're, they're in means like there's whatever happens in any other game. I mean, matter. it's also hard when you. I I know I wrote weeks ago I wrote off that essentially the Big Ten cannibalized itself, but this was the exact kind of scenario I think Ohio State could have hoped for a situation where there's going to be no undefeated if you beat Wisconsin, and it's like I said yesterday in our video that went up on Tuesday morning the the one loss teams become the undefeated and the twos become the ones, and then you have to just make all sorts of decisions and it comes down to the resume when you look at Ohio State if they beat Wisconsin that's three wins against top 15 teams. Clemson's really the only team that I think has that kind of amount of quality wins on its side, especially if they beat Miami, which I think we all expect that's going to happen, especially what happened with Penn Miami. You disagree? I think Miami can beat Clemson. Yeah, I don't, we don't have to have that discussion, but sure. I mean, I, I, 
Clemson's good. Clemson's uh, definitely favored to be Miami, though. I, I don't even know what the lines are in the conference championship games. I think I think the ACC, SEC, and Big Ten are all some versions of coin flips. I, I will be surprised if TCU beats Oklahoma. I don't think it's impossible, but I would consider Oklahoma a strong favorite in that. Um, but I will not at all be surprised. I think the committee overrates Clemson. I think the committee underrates Oklahoma. Um, and I think Georgia-Auburn, Auburn handled Georgia very easily earlier this year. It's Georgia's one loss, but I certainly think Georgia could win that game. Auburn is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Clemson is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Ohio State is obviously a six-point favorite. And Oklahoma is a seven-point favorite. Oklahoma is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. That seems low to well, me. I'm, I'm looking at the open line. The consensus for Oklahoma is minus seven. Why isn't Oklahoma a bigger favorite over TCU? Probably. Is it because Baker it's Mayfield hard. grabbed his crotch? Maybe. I wonder if it's also the neutral site, plus the fact they're going to play in Dallas, which is almost a home game for TCU. Everyone's also kind of like, you got to be Gary Patterson twice. Good luck. Like, I don't, I don't know. People think, like, the Gary Patterson that, is Bear Bryant. The thing that I don't like about you've got to beat them twice is, like, what? It would be a better strategy to have lost to them the first time? Because right. right. then it'd be like, oh, now they have... No! I don't know. I think Oklahoma's going to win. I'm not... Again, if TCU beats Oklahoma, there's a there's certainly a path for Ohio State and Alabama to both get in. I think it probably is worthwhile to at least consider a little bit Clemson losing and possibly being in consideration for the fourth spot now that they are number one. Um, but I, I strongly, strongly, strongly believe two things. Ohio State has a chance, and nobody knows what's going to happen. I agree with that, and... So I think we're gonna like try to like mix questions in as we go, and I apologize. I don't know who asked this. I don't have to look it up. But there were a couple questions about whether or not Ohio State has to win convincingly. Do you think that matters? I think it's tight enough that that perception does matter, and we know for a fact that again in 2014 it wasn't just that Ohio State beat Wisconsin; it's that they dominated Wisconsin. Right. In the end, and we've said this before. The committee can do whatever it wants to do. Mm-hmm. The committee can take the four best teams, and then you you reverse engineer it and rationalize whatever you want. If Ohio State looks like one of the four best teams by smoking the last undefeated and doing it in a way that makes you say, you know what, that Iowa game was just an absolute fluke. You can't ignore it, but they've done enough to overcome it. That matters more than if Ohio State wins by a field goal. So Alabama's going to be watching at home and rooting for Ohio State, and that is an interesting component of this, is that Alabama absolutely is rooting for Ohio State because if Wisconsin wins, Tim's winning your in thing, that's winning your in, absolutely. Wisconsin is winning there. If the winners are Oklahoma and Wisconsin, then the other two games are winning your in, and this is over. It's mm-hmm. easy. There's no discussion. All you're doing is seeding. Nobody would dispute that, that then your four best teams are those four conference champions. So Alabama, and I don't think I said this on the podcast last week. Again, I lose track of what I say where, of what I write, what I say in the video, what I say in the podcast, what I say to my children. (laughs) My eighth grader is a big college football fan. Sometimes I think I say something in a podcast, and it's just something I ranted at her when she got home from middle school. Um, my life is, has become, the more we do Buckeye Talk, my life is like a podcast. Do you guys find that at all? Do you find yourself podcasting yeah. in real life? Yes. And does Leo want to kill you? Yeah, oh, I think she just wants to kill me in general, but probably more so, yeah. Because I try to have, like, deep, 
in-depth discussions like about everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a take on everything. Yeah. It's like, hey, could you could you pass the butter? And it's like, this butter, I got to say, what's better, butter or margarine? You know what? I do actually have hard takes on butter because she, <laughs> maybe she's not listening. She buys unsalted butter. <laughs> what? what the hell is the point of unsalted butter? It's just salt. That's what I want. I don't, I don't like what I don't want butter for like its properties as like a baking agent. I want butter because it tastes salty. We had a, like a butter tray at our Thanksgiving table to make it fancier than the normal tub that we use every morning for toast. Mm. And I put it on my roll, and the roll to me is maybe the number one thing about Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, for sure. I put it on the roll, and I was like, "Why does this taste like nothing?" And it was because it was unsalted butter. And I went to the refrigerator and got out the normal butter with salt. Is it so? Yours? What did you do? Did you just eat unsalted butter? Well, now we have both in the fridge. So you have her butter and your butter. Yes. Are you sure this is going to work? <laughs> I think we'll be all right. We signed. We signed the mortgage papers. I think as long as you have your own option, I think you're still in good shape. Yeah. I mean, it's the fattest thing ever to have your own butter, but uh, yeah, I have my own butter. Butter is a delicious... <laughs> butter is one of my top favorite, 10 favorite foods, Oh, of though. course. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys feel about, like, butter spray? Like, I know I cannot... I can't believe it's on butter. Not butter has, like, a spray. How do you feel about that? Like, you spray your toast? Yeah, like... You, you know, spray I'm, your toast? I'm out on that. You don't spray your toast, do you? Not in a oh, long time. Okay. I mean, that's been an option. Not in a long I've, time. I've tried, I that, I've tried that before. Like, the problem with it is, like, the pump doesn't always work. Sometimes it's like you have to shake it and it's there's like a pump malfunction to it. My daughter, my younger daughter, likes to spray her broccoli. Mm. And I have long been on record. On my tombstone will be my quote about you can't worry about butter on your broccoli. It's my philosophy about life. So I don't get I don't discourage you for her from buttering her broccoli because if it makes you eat the broccoli that's a win. Sure. But she is almost to the point with the spray butter and the broccoli where she will spray the broccoli and lick the butter off <laughs> and spray it again. Yeah. And then you are defeating the purpose. I disagree. But unsalted butter is for communists. I mean like I don't, I don't even, even know, know what to yeah, say. I don't even know because it doesn't taste like anything. Yeah, it's amazing. How, I don't mind using it like if I'm if I need something to like make stuff not stick to the pan, I'll throw some unsalted butter in there. But if it's for flavor, if it's going on bread especially, there's no point to unsalted butter. Because the primary flavor of bread and butter is not bread. Right. It's the, yeah. Yeah. Like, although I would eat bread, I've always said I think I could survive in like a, a French Revolution prison mm-hmm. because I like bread and butter. Like if it was like, oh, you only get bread and butter every day, I'd be like, I'm good with that. Done. Yeah. But I never thought of it that if it was unsalted butter, I'd be like, just hang me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think we were talking about the playoff in there. I can't remember what we were saying. Listen. Oh, the question was about if Ohio State needs to win convincingly. Oh. oh right. It'll help. I mean, certainly yeah. it would help. Certainly. Here's the thing. I mean, what you need to do if you're Ohio State, A, you need to win, obviously. But you need to look like one of the four best teams in the country. And so... If you go out there and like Wisconsin looks like looks terrible and it's like wow Wisconsin's been overrated all year they really only got this far because they didn't play anybody and then Ohio State also looks terrible like yeah that is that that is very different than a dominant convincing Ohio State win now the hard thing's going to be if they do win close they do win by a field goal if they win by a field goal cuz people say wow Wisconsin is great. Yeah. That was a great win. 
I'll tell you what, that was a quarterfinal. That was a worthy quarterfinal. You know what? Tim Bielek was right. That was win and you're in because both those teams are playoff quality. They slugged it out for four quarters and the winner of that game deserves to be in. Then it doesn't matter that you didn't blow them out because you, I think you can earn it that way. And by the way, this committee, and I did a little breakdown of the committee this week just to double check. There's 13 people on it. Only three of them are younger than 50. Is it 13 or 12? 13. Ten of them are white guys. It's five current ADs, five retired coaches, a retired media member, a lifelong NCAA staffer, and the president of a university. These are some old-fashioned football people who I think think a lot of the same way about the game. And they are absolutely capable of looking at a tough, physical Big Ten championship that Ohio State barely wins and saying, yeah, give me that team. They've deserved to be in. So I don't think you have to blow them out. You have to look good, but you don't have to blow out this Wisconsin team to look good because Wisconsin has gained enough respect that beating them 21-17 might get you in if you look good doing it. I think a key also is Wisconsin moving up into the top four. I think that... It's a small thing, but I think it help, it helps Ohio State's case a little bit. It's like the committee recognizes Wisconsin is now a top four team. That idea of disrespect that Melvin Gordon tweeted about with Kirk Herbstreit over the weekend is over. And if you didn't see it, Melvin Gordon was like, "Man, I feel like we need to take you guys for dinner or movie with all the disrespect you're giving us and just talk it out." But that that matters. I think that Wisconsin is top four. And I mentioned this on Saturday. I'm going to call this the mic drop effect. Ohio State gets a chance to have the last word. Them and the ACC title game, I believe, at the same time. I believe they're both 8 o'clock kickoffs. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. I, you can finish your thought, then I'll disagree with it. Because I, I wonder if there's something to be said for Ohio State to be convincingly good and basically have the last word of the committee. Because I'm, I, I, I wonder how much that carried over three years ago. The fact that not only did they have the last chance to make their case... But it was emphatic, fifty nine nothing. They based Cardale Jones, and then basically, essentially, had the last word. They dropped the mic and said, "Go ahead, it's on you." I mean, the I, the one point in there, real quick, is that in two thousand fourteen, the teams they were competing with were not playing in a championship game, and this year, the team they are competing with is not playing in a championship game. Yeah, no, I think that is true. I also think that fifty nine nothing is worth just as much at eight AM as it is at eight PM. Yeah, I don't think I don't think kickoff time is the You know what I mean? Like, like if they're competing against the team that's playing at noon, they're just that that's not who they're right. competing they're, against. Because they're, they're gonna watch all the games and then sit down in Grapevine, Texas, wherever they are and talk about all of them. And they're not gonna like, Oh Oh, Big 12 championship this ended. It's 3 o'clock. Let's talk about that and then never talk about it again. And then Big 10 championship's over and now we're only talking about that. I mean, I, I never said it's like a turning factor, but I don't think it can hurt when you have the last chance to make the statement. I just think it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to. If, if, like, the kickoff time is influencing who you're voting for, you should be on the committee. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You really think that just because you played last, they're not goldfish? <laughs> it's not like their memory gets wiped away. It's like, oh, wow, High State was really good against Wisconsin. Who else played today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Auburn beat who? I can't remember. Who did Auburn beat? Come on. It's like four hours ago, man. I can't remember. <laughs> and I have a terrible... <laughs> Can you guys Google that? Can you yeah. Google SEC Championship? <laughs> um, all right. Let's get into some questions because uh, 
the bottom line is again, I think we, I think the general vibe from the three of us is Ohio State has a good chance. How they they must win. How they win does matter, but you're still not going to know for sure. Alabama is the competition. A Clemson team that loses to Miami in a certain way, I think, could be some competition as well. But the bottom line is, if they win on Saturday night, you're going to go to bed not knowing, and you're going to wake up on Sunday with your heart in your throat. Okay, so we want to start with like playoff-specific questions first? Whatever the people want. Okay. Uh, let's see. This is from uh, Jian Wu. I apologize if I pronounced your name wrong. Um, who should Ohio State fans be rooting for between Oklahoma and TCU in the Big 12 championship that I think, oddly, if you want to talk kickoff times, kicks off at 12 noon, I believe, in Dallas, which is 11 a.m. local time. It's a weird time for a... Hmm. Yeah. Maybe they'll get the benefit of the doubt for that because they're playing in the morning. They're a little sluggish. So do we think that matters, Tim? Do you think that's a big a big influencer in Ohio State? The, the game? That's the Big 12 title game, you mean? Yeah, if the TCU outcome. TCU beats Oklahoma, um, what does it mean? I think... Or who should they be rooting for was the question. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I can make the argument both ways, but I'll say TCU because I feel like the committee has held Oklahoma back throughout the entire process because they've been seen as kind of a one-dimensional football team. The one dimension is absolutely incredible. Baker Mayfield might be the best, and that offense is fantastic. The defense has been the question mark with Oklahoma, so that's why they've been held back throughout the season. You know, we thought they could have been number two. Auburn's number two. Oklahoma's staying number three. And that defense has a lot to do with it. So I think TCU wins. You can knock Oklahoma out. It's almost like looking for a reason to keep them out because... You are into declarative statements. I don't agree with that either. Not 100%. You would knock... A little nuance, baby. A little nuance. You think Oklahoma's 100% out? Oklahoma that beat Ohio State. Two lost non-champ. Oklahoma beat Ohio State head-to-head. You think nobody on that committee would give any second thought? I'm not... To an Oklahoma-Ohio State playoff battle, they both have two losses. One has a championship, but one has a head-to-head win. You think that's not a discussion? Well, that's a discussion, but the one thing I'm wondering is, if all of a sudden you give Oklahoma a second loss and they don't have a championship, they're in a they're in that other boat with all those other teams that they're battling with that have the multiple losses and no championship. And none of those teams beat Ohio State head-to-head. I think... I think I agree with him in the sense that if Oklahoma loses to TCU, I do think Oklahoma's out. I also think it means Ohio State's out because I don't think they'd put Ohio State ahead of Oklahoma, even if Ohio State has a Big Ten championship. So you say root for Oklahoma in that game? Yes. But would they? Wow. I think. I mean, you can tell me if I'm if I'm off, but if my but okay, go ahead. If my way of thinking is off, I think a TCU win puts Alabama in, and then I think so. Then you'd have like the ACC. No, maybe I'm wrong. You have the ACC, the SEC champ, Alabama. And then it's like, I don't think you'd put TCU in. Maybe you would. Maybe you'd put the second ACC team in, and you're talking about two conferences representing the playoff. I don't know. It's very convoluted. I'm talking myself in circles. So basically, if Oklahoma wins, Oklahoma's in. So that's a spot taken. For sure. If TCU wins, TCU's not definitely in. Correct. So now a spot is open. So I think you want to open spots. If you're Ohio State fans. Yes. So if Oklahoma wins, you're losing Oklahoma. You're losing out to Oklahoma no matter what. If Oklahoma loses, you're probably in ahead of Oklahoma. But even if you're losing... You think so? I think... I think... Yes. That's my hang-up, is that I, I just don't but, think... But even if you lose out to Oklahoma there... But here's the thing. I mean, here's... And this would be very complicated. Okay. So TCU is now the Big 12 champ with two losses. Who should go between TCU and Oklahoma? 
who deserves it more. If, but you could think that TCU deserves it more than Oklahoma. Oklahoma deserves it more than Ohio State. And Ohio State deserves it more than TCU. So who do you put in? I don't know, because then they start getting into compare, like uh, what do you call them? common opponents. Right. And TCU would have a win over the team that beat Ohio State. I'm not so sure that Ohio State wins an argument against either of those teams. I think the easy way out is to leave Ohio State out. And then... But but still but the but the Big Twelve's only getting one. The Big Twelve's not getting two. Yeah. So if Oklahoma wins, the Big Twelve's in. Mm-hmm. If Oklahoma loses, it gets a little funky. Now Ohio State still might lose out there, but I think you're increasing Ohio State's chances of getting in by five percent. Because it, yeah, okay. Do you think it's possible that the Big Twelve could be left out in that scenario? Yeah. yeah. So if it's yeah. po- because if Oklahoma wins, it's not possible that the Big 12 is left out. So I would slightly w- root for TCU because I think that does open the door to both Bama and Ohio State. If Oklahoma wins, it's either Bama or Ohio State. Yeah, we know who, we know Bama's obviously rooting for TCU and Ohio State. I think Ohio State, I think, would benefit from a little extra chaos. But I just, I, I am just, this is not a declarative discussion. And I can be a declarative person as well, like this is the deal. I think it is – I don't think it's dangerous. I think it's wrong. Now, and here's the thing. And there are people out there saying if Ohio State wins, they're in. And then if Ohio State wins and makes it, they're going to say, see, I was right. And I would say you were still wrong Yeah. because you're saying there's no discussion. And I would almost guarantee you that there's going to be a discussion and that there are going to be some of those 13 people who are still going to think it should be Alabama over Ohio State. So unless there's no discussion or if there is a discussion and the vote's 13 nothing, then your thought process of Ohio State winning and is in is wrong. So if you are saying if Oklahoma loses, they're dead, you're telling me nobody in that committee is going to say that Oklahoma as a two-loss team still deserves some discussion. I'm saying I would bet they would lose out on that, but I would not say it's over. I think there's I think you can get there's a very clear path to four easy teams. But if Wisconsin and Oklahoma don't both win, then I think you get into a very interesting discussion that absolutely is not about absolutes. I agree with that. Root for TCU. Root for TCU. You changed my mind. Also, I was wrong to begin with. Um Okay, here's a question. Do you need a break before your rant? We'll go to an easier one. Let you have a little sip. Okay. And then we'll do, and then we'll get. I, I know people don't like the <laughs> sipping and the drinking. It's still my, I'm just my. Yeah. I'm no, still, I've, I have cold for a month. Sorry. This is the, when did you, when were you sick? Uh, what road trip was that? Iowa. Iowa. Iowa? Yeah. Then I got it when we got back from Iowa, from my daughter and from you. And I'm still not 100% from that. Yeah. So I apologize for the sipping. Sorry. Right. It happens that time of year. Um, the Urban Renewal asks, where do you think Ohio State would be ranked if this was the BCS? I, somebody put some fake BCS things up, and I think Ohio State was eighth. Like, right, okay. kind of right where they are right now. Um, so I don't think much would change. They, they would have no path to be number two to get in the championship game, but um, they're, right, they're right where they would be. And I will say that, that it's impossible to look at it anymore because if you look at the AP and coaches poll and try to use those as to replace the coaches and Harris poll, there were each one third of the old BCS voters vote differently in the playoff era. Voters finally have come around to thinking like the committee. And that is very different from how voters thought before. 
So I think Wisconsin would have been better off in an old system where it would have been much more about putting undefeated teams at the top of the rankings. If you had an undefeated Big Ten team in the old in the old BCS system with the AP and the coaches, I know the computers may have knocked them down a little bit, but voters were still two-thirds of that. They would be higher than fourth. There is no way an undefeated Big Ten champ would be fourth as the last undefeated team because that's all people would look at. It's easy to forget, but we have only started looking at resumes and bodies of work, and not just going by last week's rankings and reallocating ideas every week. That is a new thought process of the playoff era. And if you need to refresh yourself, go back and look at polls. Voters are the stupidest people in America. Mm-hmm. And that was the system before. So whatever you think of the committee, it is so much better than the old system. It's not even worth talking about. Thank God that stubborn, ignorant coaches and Harris Poll voters have nothing to do with this because this would be an absolute freaking cluster if this was the BCS right now. You're trying to pick two out of this group with those morons doing the picking? (laughs) Instead of this being a tremendously awesome weekend of college football... With a bunch of games where teams have opportunities to put themselves in the national championship picture by winning on the field, this would have been a weekend full of angst and bitter, bitter discussions, all hinging on the stubborn, moronic opinions of idiots. So in in this weekend, as you're enjoying these games, take a moment to let that wash over you. It's like it's like from horse and buggy to like the train system they're going to put the tube trains in right between like Columbus, Pittsburgh, oh, and the, Chicago. Uh, the hyperloop, yeah, the hyperloop. The hyperloop. It's horse and buggy, not even cars, not even cars, not even Teslas. Hyperloop, horse and buggy to hyperloop. We're going from taking a week to get to Chicago to fifteen minutes to get to Chicago. That's the BCS compared to this. You don't have a soft spot in your heart for the horse and buggy being from central Pennsylvania? Oh, the Amish? Yeah. 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 Here's what happens. So I would be in situations uh, I have come across just not as a tourist, just in everyday life. Sure. A horse and buggy being on the road mm-hmm. and my car being behind the horse and buggy. I'm not sure you're supposed to yell F-bombs at Amish people. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but you know what? Live in the world. And I'm not afraid to say that because guess what they're not doing? Listen to Buckeye talk. So I am not a fan of the horse and buggy. Wow. I've got a little anti-Amish. I'm not anti-Amish. I'm anti-Amish when you're in front of my car on the road with a horse and buggy. (laughs) Yeah, that's I buy that. That's That's all. They make good food, though. Yeah, they do. All right. You ready to rant? You just ranted. Every time I tell you to take a break from ranting, you start ranting. I know. I'm not trying to set up another rant. Uh, okay, let's find another question then. Let's see. Um, that's going to lead to a rant. <laughs> uh, Jordan Steele. This is shifting away from the playoff for a second. He says, is it just me or does this Big Ten Championship game feel ominously similar to the 2013 Big Ten Championship game? I think that's the, I think of the 14, that Wisconsin team, it's not a valid comparison. I think the 13... Is a valid comparison. I wasn't around then, but I remember watching the game and 
seemed like people just weren't taking Michigan State seriously. Is that the, was that the deal? 100%. Yeah, okay. I was 100% sure Ohio State was going to win that game. Right. I, would, I think it's definitely closer to, than 2014 because I think we talked – when you see our videos this week, you're going to understand, you know, how, how tight we think this game is. It's hard to predict because, I mean, Wisconsin has just run through everybody. I mean, you could question their schedule a little bit, how tough their games have been. I mean, you can only play who's in front of you, and they've taken care of everybody who's in front of them this year. And then you got Ohio State who's played a brutal schedule. They've gone through one, one of the toughest divisions in football – with only one loss in conference play, granted that being 31 points at Iowa, you have that this interesting matchup between two quality teams. It's just such a question mark because they've taken two completely different paths to get to this game. The thing that's interesting, I think, is that, and I didn't even realize this, I was looking at the history of the Big Ten Championship game. And again, just to remind people, Wisconsin's been in the Big Ten Championship game five of the seven years, which is remarkable. But it... Connor Cook was the MVP of two separate Big Ten championship games. He was the MVP in 2013 against Ohio State, and he was the MVP in 2015 against Iowa. Mm -hmm. And in 2013, like, whatever Connor Cook was, and in the end, Connor Cook was, like, a very good Big Ten quarterback, he wasn't really that. You were not really worried necessarily about Connor Cook. Before that 2013 team and before the 2013 game, and then he did that, and then that was the the start of. I mean, he'd already been playing, but it was like, yeah, this guy's for real. And then he went, we might be there with Noodle Arm. I'm gonna write that this week. Thanks for the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Although, would you like to discuss while we're on Noodle Arm? You don't really think that. No, I, I mean, I did last year. I thought last year he had a very, had a very weak like – the ball just like kind of seemed to float a little bit. This is Alex Hornibrook. Hor- Alex Hornibrook, Wisconsin's quarterback. I remember thinking – like watching him before Ohio State played Wisconsin, like, well, Lee Cooker's going to grab seven of those things out of the <laughs> air because they're just hanging up there forever. Um, he's got a pretty strong, accurate arm. and uh, it gets he, he gets a little happy feetish, I think, when you get in his face. And he threw a pick against Michigan that was just awful. Like he, I guess, forgot the linebackers existed and threw a ball right in at Devin Smith's stomach or Devin Smith, Devin Bush's stomach. Um, but he made some really tough, like third down throws. Like he ripped the ball down the seam on a touchdown pass. Like I think he probably throws a little bit better ball than JT Barrett. And I know JT Barrett's had the best pass in the world, and people have have hard takes on this passing ability. But I felt like Alex Warnerbrook was awful last year, and I have changed my mind. From watching their games and also because Kerry Combs helped me change my mind. But also, like, when they played Iowa, Iowa's two scores came on pick sixes. Yep. But then also they scored 35 points right. and yeah, controlled yeah. that game. He'll but, throw you the ball, for sure. The defense the ball. Which but. is an interesting thing for a defense that has not forced many turnovers this year. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be quite a thing. It's like, all right, well, Iowa got two pick sixes and still didn't come close to winning. If Ohio State can do that, that's a game changer, but they, that's not who they've been. Denzel Ward's been excellent this year. He's not picking balls off, and, and a lot of that is luck. It's circumstance. It's context sure. or whatever. That is a 0% criticism of Denzel Ward, um, who's been unbelievable. But this is not the defense that has been like a second offense, which this defense has been in past seasons, and it's just not this year. This would be a good time for it to be that. Yes, it would. Okay, you ready to rant? What do we think about Denzel Ward not making first team All Big Ten? By the way, real quick, he did. He did for the media, yeah, which he, is smarter. I voted in that. 
This one. Did you vote Denzel Ward first team? I did. Yeah. Who was the other corner? I, I guess was Marcus right? Allen, right? Was Josh Jackson a sweep in both yes. the first teams? Because I, I figured he would be. So who was the second in the coaches on the Marcus first Allen team? from Penn State? Is he? No, a he's a safety. But I think the other guys you, were you, safeties you too. You wrote the thing, Tim. I don't know. He's a safety. Yeah, but it might not matter. I think they just had you rank defensive backs. It didn't break it down safety corner. Yeah, I, I'm trying to. Who were the safeties? Now we got to look. I thought Marcus Allen was like in the slot right after Josh Jackson, where the way they listed it. There we go. They did, they just listed him as defensive backs. They didn't list like two corners and two safeties. So the first team for coaches: Josh Jackson from Iowa, Marcus Allen from Penn State, and then two Wisconsin DBs: Dakota Dixon and Nick Nelson. Are they safeties or corners? Doesn't say. It just says defensive backs. I believe Dixon is a safety. I don't, I don't know. know. It's just like Denzel Ward's going to be a first round draft pick, and none of those other guys are. So I don't. Yeah. The coaches look at stats. I think the SIDs fill out these teams for the coaches a lot. Yeah. I think look at the stats. Um, Denzel Ward doesn't have any picks. I don't think. Does he have any? I think pick? he has one. Yeah. I and I think Jackson has like nine thousand. So I wouldn't put too much stock in it. It's it's probably wrong that he's not one, but the media who does a little more thinking about it in this case got it right. And sometimes it's, it's weird. Sometimes I think the coaches are better on like linemen. Yeah. But I think the yeah. media is better, like in stuff like this, sometimes. So it's like it's not like a great travesty of justice. I mean, stuff happens. You can ask people on the Ohio State beat; they'll tell you this. Yeah, but I mean, he's really good, I, and I would think so. Nick Bosa. I, I was a little surprised. Tyquan Lewis made first team. Would you guys have if Nick Bosa is a sure first teamer? Right? Mm-hmm. Is Tyquan Lewis next on your list among Ohio State defensive linemen who should be all Big Ten? No. No. Who's next on your list? Draymond. Who's next on your list? Or Hubbard. I would say Hubbard. I would say Hubbard, too. So, I mean, the guy, Taekwon was the defensive lineman of the year last year, so it's reputation a little bit. And it's not that he's bad, but you saw the way Hubbard played against Michigan, was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. I he think played, it was maybe his best game. Yeah. He was really good. But he's also he's had some pretty, some pretty good moments this year. I would say if you were to rank in order the three best players on Ohio State's defense – this year, who would your top three be in order? Uh, Denzel Ward, one. Uh, Nick Bosa, two. Sam Hubbard, three. I'd be in the. I'd be in agreement in all three. Yeah, I go Bosa, Ward, Hubbard, but those would be the top three. Yeah, one. It's so hard with Bosa because like he doesn't have a lot of sacks, which is I, I try to break that thinking a little bit because it's kind of just the world that he lives in. But yeah, um, I just think Denzel Ward's been really good. He has been. So I hope for Denzel Ward, I, I think there's maybe some disappointment from not making the coach's team, but when he gets that kind of praise on Buckeye Talk, I think that would make up for He's it. He's an avid listener. He's yeah. an avid listener. Mm-hmm. Denzel, I'm writing a story about you this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We have a few questions along these lines. And uh, Doug's going to rant, and I'll just say in advance that I agree with the rant. <laughs> Um, this is from Jason M. Antris. He says, do we want Ohio State to make the playoffs? And then he says, would a Rose Bowl win against a Pac-12 champ look better? Uh, no, because Rose Bowl's a playoff. Um, and then he says, I know you always want to make the playoffs, but can Ohio State really beat Auburn or Georgia or Oklahoma or Clemson? Go. Uh, what's Jason's middle initial? M. Jason M. Antris, yeah. who I think we've had pick with us this year. Yeah. He's a loyal follower on Twitter. A loyal Buckeye Talk listener, delete your account. (laughs) 
The whole point of sports is to be there in the end. I think it is not even to win. It is to have the opportunity to win. It is to slog through the long and grinding season, the off-season, the summer workouts, the winter workouts, all of that to put yourself in position at the end, to have the opportunity. Life itself, Jason M. Antris, is about opportunity to suggest that your team turn down or shy away or be better served by missing out on an opportunity for fear that you might lose is contrary to the very idea of competition. And if you think it is better to go to a non-playoff bowl and win than it is to go to a playoff semifinal and lose, you do not understand what this is about. Bowls are consolation prizes. Bowls are the first losers. Bowls are the losers bracket. Congratulations on fifth place. If you want your fifth place medal, just so you can win at the end of the year, because you're afraid of finishing fourth, and you're afraid of what happened last year, which is getting shut out and embarrassed in a playoff semifinal. If you think, if you would rather have a meaningless win over Notre Dame to end the 2015 season than a playoff semifinal loss to Clemson to end the 2016 season, you do not get what this is about. Or you have been brainwashed by the bowl mob that has controlled college football for 50 years. That somehow consolation prizes and vacations for fans is a priority. If they had a loser's bracket in the NFL and they said, okay, everybody, these teams make the playoff. These 12 teams make the playoff. Now, we're going to take the next eight teams that don't make the playoff. You can't win the Super Bowl, but you're going to play the loser's bracket, and you want to go in the loser's bracket because you think you have a chance to win? You've been brainwashed by the bowl mob. This is a playoff world. Embrace the playoff world. Ohio State had a chance at it last year. They didn't come close to taking it, but they had a chance, and if you don't want that chance, you don't get it. I agree. Me too. Um, Again, it's like Clark Griswold once said, getting there is half the fun. I don't know who that is. You know who it is. He gets shot in the butt by a BB gun. No, I mean, John Candy does, but yeah. Uh, the other part of that question, Ryan Sullivan asked, um, like, if one or the other going to the playoff and getting your butt kicked or winning a meaningless bowl has any impact on recruiting. Uh, they lost 31 to nothing in the playoff last year and signed their best recruiting class ever. And then this current class that has yet to sign is better than that one. So it doesn't have an effect on recruiting. Now, if they go to the playoff like five years in a row and get their butt kicked, maybe it will. But at the moment, it is not having one. So I wouldn't worry about that either. Ohio State is Ohio State. John Myers asked what kind of pasta is Alex Hornerbrook's arm, but I don't have a clever enough answer. I've been thinking about it all day. Um, I might... I'll venture a, a try at this. Mm. Maybe... I'm, based on last year, maybe Linguini... And, Definitely Linguini. And this year, year yeah. I would say maybe, would it be fair to say it's up to Penne? What's the Penne? 
Penne is it's like the tube. It's the, oh, it's yeah, the smaller yeah, yeah. tube. It's a, it's more robust than like we need. Firmer. Yeah. yeah not saying much. It's not rigatoni. No, it's not rigatoni. But Penne, like Penne is kind of that in between. Yeah. Is he not? Is his arm not filled with delicious meat or cheese at this point? Is it not ravioli? That you have gone from linguine to a nice, robust, meat-filled ravioli? Wouldn't ravioli be Cardell Jones? No. He's not there. He's not ravioli yet. I mean, you're saying he's not meat-filled. He's not cheese-filled. It's not. He still <laughs> has a soft center. But it's a firmer center than a yeah. linguine. Okay. Yeah. I like to think Penne's that next step up. Plus, as a, as a pasta person, Penne's just much easier. What does that mean? You, you only need one utensil. As a pasta person? You only need one utensil to eat Penne instead of two. You know who is filled with delicious meats and cheeses? Hmm. Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's... Like that the, it's like the Benny Hanna. Full of, of flavor and sizzle, and it, it's nope, awesome. Can't cross your food references. Yeah. We're, we're still impossible. Crossing cultures. <laughs> uh, Jordan Steele asks why. All right, so what do you want to do? I think that's it for playoff questions. Yeah, I think we can get into the game. I think we can okay. get into the game unless we want to do a quick Shiano and then get into the game. Let's do a quick Shiano and then get into the game. And let's <coughs> let's preface it with like we are all in agreement that we're, the, the crap that happened with Greg Shiano doesn't have an impact on the game. That is my belief. Is that your belief, that Tim? That is my belief. I am in full agreement. Okay. okay. Beyond that, let's talk Shiano. You, you, you and I, I think, have similar rants, so let me, let me give you the first rant opportunity, and perhaps I will say not much more than I agree. Okay, I, I'm not a very good ranter. I tend, I tend to ramble. So. No, but you tend, you tend to, I think, uh, be more um, of a reasonable human being. That's probably so. True. Don't don't take uh, if you if you feel like you're not ranting. That is not that is a that is a plus. Okay. So okay, there's a, there's multiple layers to this, and I'll start with what I think is the most obvious. It obviously is unfortunate that Greg Schiano covered up child rape at Penn State was painted on a rock on the University of Tennessee's campus. That should not have happened. It's something you can't prove, um, and it did. Like if you want to. Talk about stuff that's unfair. I thought that that was a little, not a little, that was unfair. Um, beyond that, and I'm going to jump around a lot. I think that anyone who was at Penn State during the time that Jerry Sandusky was there, the idea that anyone who was there could be somewhat toxic makes sense to me. And if someone did not want to hire someone who was there and you're like sort of guilty by association, even if he didn't do anything, I kind of get that especially at a place like tennessee which just had to pay like three million dollars in a settlement for a sexual assault case um i also think that like none of this was actually about that it was the thing that they used it was like the low-hanging fruit it was the easiest thing to glom onto because they didn't want greg shiano to be their coach and i understand them not wanting greg shiano to be their coach um i think he's a fine defensive coordinator i think he'd be a good head coach at a lot of places i don't think he fits well at tennessee now if you want to say it's unfortunate this is the road they had to go down to make sure he didn't get there, I'd probably agree with that. But if the end result is a guy who probably doesn't fit your program not being there, then it's probably best for both sides. You know how to shake out this way. Um, so that's where I'm at. I don't know if that was a good rant or not. It's pretty reasonable. Okay. And I feel like there wasn't as much shouting as there could have been. Uh, I'm like but, losing my voice a little bit. But you're, But the information was good. The information was good. Okay. So but let me ask this. Should we feel sorry for Greg Schiano? 
No, I get like if you want to extend it to like Shiano's family, like he's got kids, and I get it. Like if my dad was going through that, it would not be a great time. So, whatever. I do have a little bit of sympathy in that regard. I have a hard time feeling bad for a guy who makes the money that he makes, um, and will someday be a head coach anyway. I think so. No, I don't really feel sorry for him. Do you feel sorry for him, Tim? Uh, I feel sorry for kind of you know how. He- how the whole thing kind of went down when it looked like about noon on Sunday that he was heading to Tennessee. And then I'm like sitting by, sitting by my computer all the, the whole day and about three, four o'clock, all this is unraveling. You see protests going on on campus. You mentioned the spray paint, spray painted rock. There's government officials in the state of Tennessee protesting this hire. It's literally nothing we've ever seen before. I, I was trying to wrap my head around if this is the most bizarre situation this is number one as far as most bizarre coaching situations we've ever seen. This goes way above the George O'Leary. I think this goes above George O'Leary, O'Leary lying on his resume in Notre Dame. Yeah, what about the guy like who lost the Alabama job because he was hanging out with a well, hooker or whatever? Yeah. That that mo- it, at the very minimum moves Doing into that top tier. In his office, yeah. But this is it's just so bizarre how this all happens. So I think in that regard, also Rick Pitino. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> That, that, that is the one thing that, like, like Greg Schiano didn't really like. Most of the other times when we're talking about like bizarre coaching situations, like you're referencing George O'Leary, and I can't even remember. Was it? I don't want to say the wrong name. For, I, don't, I forget. Was it yeah. Mike Price? Or is that the wrong? Yeah. I don't want. And like Patino, they all did stuff. Yeah. This is like Greg Schiano. They did things that like sabotaged their own careers. Greg Schiano had this happen to him, so that is a difference there. But there, you know. Weird stuff happens in coaching sometimes, but but I think Tim's point is correct in terms of like this s- specific kind of situation. Yeah. Never like this, right? Mm-mm. And it's probably going to cost him a head coaching spot this year, I would think, because I just with all the coaching, the high profile jobs already being filled. UCLA has been filled. Florida's been filled. There's not many situations available. There's actually a million jobs available. Well, well I mean, <laughs> high-quality jobs available. There's actually more There's Power 5 conference jobs available than usual. There's, There's seven available. still open. I don't know. I don't mean to disagree, but I disagree with that point. Arkansas is open. Mississippi State's open. Texas A&M is open. Tennessee is open. Nebraska is open. Oregon State is open. And Arizona State is open. That is like Greg Schiano wheelhouse. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like... I, I, th- I agree with the idea that he might not get one now because it's like if Arizona State was like, well, hey, Arizona State fans, how about the guy that Tennessee threw a fit over? Yeah. You want him? I mean, would you say, Tim, that he's out of this cycle Um, as a result of this reaction? More likely than not, yes. I think, And I'm sure people, like Ohio State people, expect that Shiano's only going to be two and out. I think two years and gone to a head coaching job, I think – him coming back likely now for a third season as a bonus, and I know we kind of I kind of threw around the potential if Sianos re- like leaves, who replaces him? I think this for Ohio State, this is as good a situation as you can get because he's coming back. You don't have to change a scheme; you still have your main defensive coordinator back. And like people were saying, like, oh, is this a distraction this week? It's like you know what would have been a distraction: him getting him the Tennessee leaving. job. Yeah. Like for Ohio State, like they don't wish this. Urban Meyer and Gene Smith talked him up, wanting him to get a job. People, that's the thing, people like sort of don't get it. I got some reaction to stuff of like, well, why would Ohio State say nice things about him? All they're going to do, it's like, this is what you do. Like people come and you want your people to get opportunities. People like your bosses, if you have a boss that like would lie about you and stuff and like sabotage you to keep you from getting a new job, 
That's a terrible boss. That is not how the world works. <laughs> like, yeah, Urban Meyer and Gene Smith, even though it might be to the detriment of the Ohio State football team, are going to say nice things about Greg Schiano to help him get a job. For instance, they might point this out. Greg Schiano's record at Rutgers, and I said this to Bill the other day, is one game above 500. And people have made the point that that is a virtually impossible thing to do. For instance, I don't know if you know that Teddy Roosevelt at one point was the Rutgers head football coach, the great outdoorsman, the father of the conservation movement in America, a great American president on Mount Rushmore, former Rutgers head football coach, went 16-41. and 41. Greg Schiano better than Teddy Roosevelt. Okay? I, I admit, I never knew that till now. You never knew. Vince Lombardi. At Rutgers, Vince Lombardi, 2-38 and 38 at Rutgers. Could not do what Greg Schiano did. Vince Lombardi, okay? Neil Armstrong. Wolf on the moon. First man on the moon. Winless in three seasons at Rutgers. 0-30. and 30. What Greg Schiano did. Do you know? You know what he did? Right before he was elected. And I don't know if people know this. Just before... Greg Schiano at Rutgers, Barack Obama mm-hmm. lasted half a season. Lost 83 to nothing to East Carolina, got fired in the middle of his first year. What Greg Schiano did at Rutgers was a miracle. Some of the greatest Americans in our country's history couldn't win at Rutgers. How dare Tennessee not take listen? <laughs> I apologize, Tim, if briefly you thought that Teddy Roosevelt had been the Rutgers head football coach. I apologize. Rutgers is where the first, very first football mm-hmm. they played in the first, first game. Yeah. But listen, the idea that, like, how dare Tennessee not take Greg Schiano? You don't deserve anyone better than Greg Schiano, which has been perpetrated by a lot of the national media, Why? is silly because they're friends with Greg Schiano. Yeah. It's silly. Listen, I mean, like, I, I get it. It was hard to win at Rutgers. That's he was he has a one game over five hundred record at Rutgers and he failed on the NFL. I mean, this is not like if I, who knows what they're going to end up with. The, all the names that are out there now after Greg Schiano are all better than Greg Schiano. As we record this, they're talking to Mike Gundy. Yeah, better, way better. Current Oklahoma State coach better than Greg Schiano. Lane Kiffin better than Greg Schiano. T. Martin, USC offensive coordinator. Your former quarterback who won a national championship there, better than Greg Schiano. So, like, the idea of, like, hey, Tennessee, why don't you shut up, you bunch of losers? You would be honored to have Greg Schiano coach. No! It's okay to not want him. Now, the whole Penn State angle of it, I don't know. But, like, if the basis is we don't want Greg Schiano, yeah, that's okay. And it's very different having a head coach than a coordinator. I talked to Gene Smith. They vetted him. He was already hired here when the Penn State stuff that he was linked to, which is never proven, is secondhand hearsay. They checked into all that. He was already here, but hiring a defensive coordinator is very different than hiring the guy Mm -hmm. to run your program. It's the same thing with Ohio State and Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson came from a toxic situation in Indiana where he was hired. He was lost his job there for allegedly mistreating players. It's different to hire him where he's not in charge of treating players. He's just running the offense, all right? So, like, it's a different situation at Ohio State, but it's a very – running a football program and being the face of the university in a lot of ways is a big deal. If they don't want him, that's fine. And if your take on it 
is how dare Tennessee. Now, maybe they went about it the wrong way. They probably uh, went about it the wrong way. But the I, but the baseline, it depends what you're mad at. Sure. Are you more mad about the way they went about it, or are you more mad at that they didn't want Greg Schiano? Right. If you're mad they didn't want Greg Schiano, how dare they? You're wrong. And that seems to be the basis of a lot of the outrage. That's wrong. I agree with that. And the other thing is, I am not in the business of feeling sorry for adults in college sports who make millions of dollars. So, like, whenever I see a story about, oh, poor coach's family, coach got fired, I just say, take your millions of dollars and go on a big vacation to Hawaii and you'll be fine. Like, there's a lot of things, a lot of crappy things that happen to a lot of people who don't have millions of dollars. And by the way, when new coaches come into football programs, you know what they often do? Flush out some of the kids that are there. Mm-hmm. And those kids don't have millions of dollars, and they get they end up leaving a place they wanted to be at. So, like, if Greg Schiano didn't get a job that he wanted, like, you know what? Whatever. It, he didn't do anything wrong. Like, stuff happens, but, like, I'm not going to throw a pity party for a millionaire coach when – Players often get treated like pieces of meat in college football. So that's my main takeaway from that. And I I think the outrage, much of the national outrage directed at it, I think is like I'm all for outrage. Mm -hmm. I'm not wasting it on this. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You and I are on the same page. I also think that the 15-minute discussion we just had is going to be highly unpopular among Buckeye Talk listeners. (sighs) So – but we talk like it is. Okay, let's talk about Big Ten Championship. Let's do it. Oh, but an hour in? <laughs> an hour into our championship podcast, let's talk oh. about the championship. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. We uh, don't, we're not sure we're getting much food this week, by the way. We, got, we talked about butter. <laughs> we did have a... That was a natural, organic butter discussion. That was not pre-planned. It was not. <laughs> Sometimes we do, we do that to each other, save it for the podcast. If you had said that to me earlier in the week, I would have said save it for the podcast, but you didn't say it earlier. Yeah. So that was just – that was real butter feelings in the moment. It that was, was not – yeah. Well, can we – what do we classify the pasta discussion as? Because that's – food meets football. That's almost like – That's that's, right uh, that's That is the best of Buckeye talk. That's, yeah. that's it right there. It's the best of both worlds. But, yeah, let's go football. <sighs> if Probably Alex Hornerbrook's arm was available at a fast casual restaurant, would you order it? <laughs> Maybe now, not last year, not last year. Okay, I'm trying to find good uh, Wisconsin. That's questions. the thing. But you guys, it's like, okay, we're not talking about the game. We didn't get any questions about the game. There was a question like, which position matchups are we are we excited about for the Wisconsin game? I don't know. Is that Maybe a question from a person? That's from I'll, the I'll guy. Talk about who, that. It's from Chad M, who has you as your as his avatar. What's up, Chad M? Um, <laughs> you'll be hearing from my lawyer. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I am very interested about this offensive line matchup, and it's hard because it's like, and we've talked about this already this week, it's such a cliche. They've played Wisconsin enough times now, even though they're not in the same division. Like, the Wisconsin storyline is the same every time. The Ohio State has higher recruiting rankings. Wisconsin has big offensive linemen. Here they go. But I am very interested to see this group of highly skilled 300-pound offensive linemen see if they can push around this Ohio State defensive line. Because we saw that before the Oklahoma game. Was that not one of Oklahoma's strengths? Was that their offensive line was was pretty good? Orlando Brown, their tackle at the very least, is a guy who might be a first-round pick. And in that game... 
the Ohio State defensive line did not dominate that game. So I'm very curious to see if they can do things to win the line of scrimmage and get Jonathan Taylor four and five yard chunks and move the ball down the field. Because when you look at Ohio State's defenders, when you look at Sam Hubbard and Jerome Baker and some of these guys, they're quick. They're run and chase guys. I don't know that their point of attack deal with the 300 pounder. So we know Tough Borland at middle linebacker is going to have to have a good game. We know the tackles are going to have to have a good game. But I think it's possible that Wisconsin is going to be able to push them around a little bit, right? I, I think yeah. that's on the table. Yeah, I, I thought I, I was watching um, the 2014 Big Ten Championship for some stuff that's going to be on Cleveland.com on Wednesday morning. And uh, that Wisconsin offensive line was not, I don't think, as good as this current Wisconsin offensive line, but it was still like the traditional all six foot seven farm-fed giant white dudes. Um, and I thought that, like, Michael Bennett and Adolphus Washington were, like, equally, like, they were up to the task of being as physical as that line was and, like, didn't get pushed around and were getting penetration and stopping Melvin Gordon. And I don't know if this defensive line, like, has those guys. I think that, like, Draymond Jones is a great athlete and I think he's really good, like, in space. I think that Nick Bosa is a really good defensive end and Sam Hubbard and all those guys. I don't, I don't like, view them as stout run-stoppers. Um, and maybe I'm wrong and they'll prove me wrong on Saturday, but yeah, I, I would be a little concerned about this defensive line getting pushed around a little bit. I think it's a fair argument to say regardless of Feldman, because it's just, that's been Wisconsin's identity for decades is power football. We're going to blow you off the line and we're going to let our running backs just run through you for 60 minutes. And we're just going to keep doing that till we wear you down. That, that's, I mean, it's the same story that they've had for decades and it just works. It, I mean, it remains to be seen how it's going to work against this Ohio State defense. This front four, they're going to have to rotate a lot. They probably won't be in the Rushman package a lot as much. They'll need to rely on more defensive tackles to try and win that battle up front or at least neutralize that battle up front. That's definitely going to be the most That's definitely the most interesting matchup, I think, because when you play Wisconsin, a team that you know exactly what they're going to do, they're not going to make any secrets about what they want to do. They want to go at you downhill and dare you to beat them. Wisconsin's, uh, oh, I was going to look at their height and weight. Never mind. They're, Ty- just, they're just all big. Tyquan Lewis, I think, is big in this game. He likes games like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this could be a Tyquan Lewis game. And how about how about our, your guy? I'm going to say he's he's your guy to both of you simultaneously talking about this guy. Who's my guy? B.B. Landers. Oh, B.B., yeah. Is this a B.B. Uh, Landers game? I mean, he's short, but he's a leverage monster, right? Is yeah. he going to be able to maybe, like counteract some of these big guys in the middle of the Wisconsin offensive line and plunk some holes? Yeah, maybe. I think that's like one of the things that was working in Michael Bennett's favor in 2014 is he wasn't the biggest guy. He was kind of squatty a little bit, like not as short as Robert Landers is. But yeah, I do. Th- I like, who called him a leverage monster? I think one of the draft guys. Yeah, is it's it a, like a perfect, yeah, somebody a perfect else? description of, of what Robert Landers does. Nick Bosa, I might have said this before, like Nick Bosa told me that he thinks Robert, Robert Landers has the potential to be like one of the better nose tackles in the country if he ever got the opportunity to play enough for people to notice it. And I don't like I don't think he was BSing me. I think he actually believes that. He's so unique. And he played a little bit last year against Wisconsin. But yeah, I think he might, like now that I'm thinking about it, he might actually be among their most important, maybe the most important defensive lineman if he can get some stuff going in the middle of that offensive line or middle of the defensive line. I think with, yeah, you brought up a good point with Landers lack of height. I think almost for a power offensive lineman that's full of tall guys, that's a matchup nightmare because the one way to beat size is to, is to have leverage and go under that size. And that's what BB Landers does. I wrote about before the season, you know, about 
how he understands how he, what he is because of what his low height playing low to the ground. And when you have a guy like that, that can disrupt things in there because all of a sudden you get a six four, six five guard. You have to try and block a six one offensive defensive lineman. Not so easy. I think we have a question in there that um, Goon is referencing the Jerome Baker coverage tweet from tonight. He wanted us to discuss that. Should we discuss that? I was not at Jerome Baker, so, so you guys can feel free to discuss. Well, but in general, well, yeah. it was that Jerome Baker graded himself a D in pass coverage this year. Is And is that something that we believe is going to be an issue in this game with the linebackers covering tight ends? Or do we think it is something that has been fixed or can be fixed for this game? He's been very poor in it all year. And so, no, I... I I don't know what it is. To me, it just seems like it's kind of lack of focus stuff because obviously he's a really good player. But there were, there was a you guys remember the throw in the end zone against Michigan? I, I don't know. One of the tight ends like broke free, like running towards yeah. the corner of the end zone, and the corner just threw it over his head. Yeah, it was like Baker was in coverage against that guy and like just kept his eyes in the backfield. Was watching O'Corn of all people. Like it wasn't like Chris Evans was doing stuff back there. He was just watching O'Corn, watching O'Corn, and then all of a sudden the tight end ran behind him, and if the ball was even semi accurate, it was a touchdown. And there were a couple of times in that game where he got Baker got really caught out of position. I actually thought he did a little bit better job as the game wore on. There was another play where a guy got open, but Baker kind of got picked by his own teammate. Um, so maybe that was a sign that, that it is improving, and maybe he, he got the hint and, and realized that they were doing to him. But um, I think a D is like a very self-aware assessment of how he's been playing, because I would agree with that. I think he's been very, very poor in pass coverage. Yeah, and I do believe, I've said this before, you know, by week 13, you don't suddenly fix everything. You are when you are, yeah. and you don't, there's no way to fix it. So they're going to have to find creative ways around that. I know I saw a question about Denzel Ward being put on Troy Fumagalli a lot. Yeah. They could do that. I could see Jordan Fuller going on to him a little bit in certain situations. I think you just throw multiple guys at him, multiple matchups. Sometimes it's Worley, sometimes it's Ward, sometimes it's Fuller. You just mix it up. Don't give him the same look twice in a row. And just do what you can just to create a little confusion. That was John Myers. He said, Ward on Fumagalli all day, right? And do we agree that that's right? Do we think that's what will happen? Yeah, like they're, Wisconsin's best receiver is like Quintez Cephas. Is out, has been out for a while. He's out for the year. He's not going to play on Saturday. Um, they I they don't have a receiver that scares me. They, I kind of trust the other corners. So, yeah, I'd put Denzel Ward on Tro- Troy Fumagalli all game. I don't know if I would just because – I mean, it's one thing for him to be on a six-one guy. Troy Fumagalli is. I'm done giving... being worried about Denzel Ward against tall guys. I think that I is a fallacy. Well, tall guys who are bigger and stronger. I'll just say that I I put him on him a lot, especially in passing situations. I line him up against Fumagalli and just tar- like put him on an island with Fumagalli and see what happens. I don't. I think just that physical toll alone is something you don't want to keep up for every single defensive snap. I am in favor of my best pass cover guy on their best pass catcher. I agree with that. And, and I do, I mean, like, Denzel Ward on Mike Williams last year in the, in the Fiesta Bowl was an issue. Mike for, like, Williams, one or two throws. For one or two whole, throws. Yeah. But again, but Mike Williams was like, how tall is Mike Williams? 6'5"? Six, six, and he was six, the seventh pick in the draft? Yeah. I mean, like, he's like a freak. So... Troy Fumagalli's not that. I mean, he's not Mike Williams. So I, I would I, – and the thing, too, is the, the throws they're going to try to Fumagalli, it's a lot of this stuff over the middle where Denzel mm-hmm. Ward's going to be – going to get position and, and be in a spot to reach and knock a ball away. 
you know, they're not throwing jump balls in the corner of the end zone over or anything, you know. So I think, you know, they'll try some stuff down the seam, but I trust Denzel Ward to run with the guy. And Denzel Ward's excellent. I mean, like, we again, we have a Denzel Ward story that we, we hope is coming this week. Um, he's great. Like, he's, he's, really, he's good, really, he's, I mean, as good as they've been here, and we saw Marshawn Lattimore went from, the best corner on Ohio State's team last year, which also made him the best corner in the Big Ten, which also made him one of the best corners in the country, to maybe the best corner or one of the best corners at least in the NFL as a rookie. And I don't know that Denzel Ward's any is is a, is a lesser player than Marshawn Lattimore. I think I thought it was crazy when Curry Combs said it at the beginning of the year, like I always do every year. Um, I'm like done thinking he's crazy because he was right again, and I'll probably say the same thing about Jeff Okuda next year. And guess what? He'll be right. I mean, Marshawn has a couple. Marshawn's bigger. Marshawn's a little more physical. He's just a couple inches taller. But like, just the way you cover people, I, I mean, I don't know that anyone. I had. I don't know that I've seen anybody at Ohio State do it better than Denzel Ward. That he's he's as good. Like line up a receiver and cover him. I think he's as good as I've seen here. Yeah, I agree. By the way, Troy Fumagalli last year, by the way, we're talking about Wisconsin's really good tight end, if we didn't say that. He had seven catches for 84 yards against Ohio State last year. Those seven catches is tied for the second most in a game in his career. He had eight this year against Florida Atlantic. That's his career high. And for the record, 6'6", 248 per Wisconsin's roster. He's 6'6", 248? Mm-hmm. Yes. And how many fingers does he have? Nine? Yeah. Didn't it, was in like, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was in, like, it's not ten. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nine. We it's know like it's the big nine. story everybody writes about Troy from Gully. Yeah. I don't know what the story is, but like it's kind of interesting. It's kind of impressive if you think about it to catch a football with your if you're missing a digit. Yeah. Um, okay. What else? Um, okay, let's do. Uh, let's get to a JT question. Oh, okay. Shelby Goodman wants to know. He says, "Why not use Dwayne Haskins as a quote change of pace quarterback on a couple of series?" I don't like that idea. I was going to say hate. Hate's a little strong. <laughs> I hate that idea. Um, Wisconsin used a change of pace quarterback in 2014. They had Joel Stave and Tanner McAvoy and like tried running two different offenses, and it was completely dysfunctional, and then they didn't score. I'm not saying that would be the case if Ohio State played both JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. I'm just not super in favor of that, especially if like JT Barrett has knee problems and you're going to throw him out there to be the runner when he's probably going to be a little less effective of a runner. I think that's probably not the best course of action. I mean, it's just usually – I don't like that either, but usually when you see it, it's because you have a veteran thrower and you put in a runner as the wrinkle. Right. Like nobody does it, and I, I, I think I even suggested it earlier this year. So I'm like contradicting myself. But even I think when I suggested maybe trying it, it's just the opposite. It's the wrong fit. It's like you have a veteran runner, and the wrinkle is put in a guy who can throw, and it's like it doesn't make any sense. It's like this is – like when 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 – Indiana put in Xander Diamant for a series, and it was like, we're going to snap it to him and tell him to see if he can run 60 yards because the defense not, isn't going to know what the hell to do. Like, that makes a little bit of sense. I mean, the Chris Leak-Tim Tebow thing, Chris Leak's a quarterback, Tim Tebow's a battering ram, that made sense. It worked. I mean, this is this is the opposite of that. And, and like, it's weird if you would have done it and tried some sort of two-headed quarterback this year, Okay, you're not going to try it. And no matter what the injury is, you're not going to try it in the Big Ten no, Championship yeah. game. 
I think JT either goes or doesn't go. Or that you know he tries to go and can't do it, and then you take him out and put in Dwayne. I don't think it's like he can sort of go, so put in Dwayne for a series or two and to throw him off. I don't think that would work. I think change of pace can only work in certain situations. Like you said, Chris Leak, Tim Tebow, that's really the, the the most popular one. I mean, Oklahoma for a while had Landry Jones and Blake Bell. You have to have a Love guy... Oh yeah, Beldos are fantastic. One of the best nicknames I've ever seen heard in football. But change of pace, I feel like, has gone away with the proliferation of the spread and the use of more dual threat quarterbacks. I feel like the change of pace quarterback is dead. Yeah, Mike Fitzpatrick wants to know what the Mario McCall's future is with the program. He like he, we all think he's on the medical redshirt path, right? Yeah, he's also playing Jonathan Taylor on scout team in preparation for this game. It's like he's not healthy enough to play, but he's healthy enough to get beat up in practice. I think he is healthy enough to play. You just don't want to waste it now? They don't want to waste it. But again, I mean, for everybody who wants to see him, what would you do with him? Who's he taking snaps from if he's playing this year? Yeah, it's certainly a valid point. I guess you mix him him in at H. I think you could mix him in a little bit at H and play K.J. Hill more outside maybe. Um, But, yeah, I I think that's a good point. I don't know where. Maybe let him return some stuff. So or if I'd seen him a kick returner instead of Mike Weber. I wouldn't mind that either. I mean, his future is superstar. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, I keep, I've made the Curtis Samuel comparison several times. I mean, they have a bunch of playmakers here. You don't know who's going to emerge. I think it absolutely could be Demario McCall. I think Demario McCall could be a featured guy as a runner and receiver in this offense next year. It's just the thing you usually see in this program is guys, no matter how talented they are, usually have to wait their turn. For guys ahead of them to either leave, to gr- either graduate or leave early, I think that's just McCall's position. It's just a numbers game. And I think he's, he's hurt. He was hurt. Well, that too. That- he was hurt, and then I think he's healthy now. But they don't. They saw the opportunity to redshirt him because they didn't get a full year out of it. Same deal as Dante Booker last year. I think Dante Booker yes. probably could have played by a certain point. But I think especially if if you think that either Mike Weber, Paris Campbell, or both maybe would turn pro, mm-hmm. there's your opening. Because if Weber's gone, now McCall's your second running back next year slash H. Mm-hmm. If you don't have both Hill and Campbell back, now he's in the H mix. Or I think you I don't think you'd want to move Paris Campbell to outside. No. But I think you could absolutely move KJ Hill outside and have Paris Campbell, and even if everybody's back, have Paris Campbell and Demario McCall be your two H's next year. Yeah. I think they will find room for him, and I think he still has a chance to be a very good player here. And River Meyer has said as much. Like he still expects Demario to be a big, big part of the offense. And the Curtis Samuel had a goofy, injury-plagued sophomore season where he also was stuck behind Braxton and couldn't get on the field. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, "Ugh, what's up with Curtis Samuel?" And it was like, "What's up was he was waiting." Uh, real quick, we had a question uh, about Paris Campbell. I can't find who asked it. Why is Paris Campbell not returning kicks? Because he had a concussion earlier this year. I asked him about it specifically. He had a concussion earlier this year. I said, are they not putting you on kicks because they're just trying to be careful because you had a concussion earlier? And he sort of said yes. It's like, I don't think he wanted to talk about it a ton. It is not like if you're like, what are they doing? Like everybody's always like, what are they doing? Why are they putting Mike Weber back there? He's not as good as Paris Campbell. Yeah. You think the coaches just decided that Mike Weber something's going on. Everyone's always like outraged. Why is everyone so dumb? It's because something that you don't quite have all the information about is going on. So I think they're trying to protect Paris Campbell. And they think, you know what? We'll let them, we'll give them some jet sweeps and quick little passes, and we won't let someone 
run 60 yards down the field and crash into him at full speed. And so, yeah. and then in the meantime, it's like, okay, I mean, I, I'd love to ask a thousand questions of them of who, why isn't someone else behind Paris Campbell who might be a little more dynamic? And everyone's like, why is Mike Weber returning kicks? He's not very dynamic. But everybody, those same people are also talking about how fast Mike Weber looks now. Yeah. So, I don't know. They got to trust you. They got to trust you. And the one thing that Urban has almost never done, they talk about it. They talk about putting defensive guys as returners, fast defensive guys like Marshawn. We'd see them in the spring. We'd Mm -hmm. see them in preseason. Oh, look, it's always a good post. Oh, look, here are the five guys who were fielding punts on the third day of preseason practice. And there's always a couple defensive guys. And (coughs) they never use those guys. They use the offensive players that they trust to hold on to the ball. And if you're fast, that's almost a bonus. But the number one thing is we trust you to hold on to the ball. They trust K.J. Hill in punts. They trust Paris Campbell on kicks. They trust Mike Weber on kicks. Maybe Kendall Sheffield would be great at it. Denzel. Maybe Denzel would be. They're just not going to do it. Question from uh, Tuamu. Tuamu55. He says, I believe the 2014 2014 team won because in the playoff run, they were the most physical team in the country. The JT Barrett injury forced them to be. They are too finesse at times on both sides of the ball. Can they get that physicality back? Is it tied to the quarterback slash reliance on the quarterback run? I would disagree that they're a finesse team. Do you guys think that Ohio State is a finesse team, especially on offense? No. Not in the last few weeks. I don't think they ever were. I think it's a misconception that like when the quarterback starts running the ball that you think they're a finesse team. Now I think that's true for some teams, but like JT Barrett, we've made the jokes before, runs like a fullback. He's not running around people and dancing around people and like like he's running through people. And like Maurice Hurst from Michigan was talking to Michigan yeah. reporters last week about that, how hard it is to tackle JT Barrett. Right, like they're they're these are Ohio State doesn't run its power run plays enough, I suppose, but it's not I would not label them a finesse team attacking the perimeter and running the quarterback, in my mind, is not finesse. Um, it's like usually sound strategy. I think it's what they're going to do a lot of against Wisconsin because that's when they found success last year was getting stuff to the edge with like Curtis Samuel and um, and Paris Campbell and Dontre Wilson. Um, but no, I don't. If you, I was maybe their their defense is maybe not as physical as it's been the last few years. I think I would agree with that. But uh, I don't think it's a finesse offense. I think a lot of people. I mean, what is it, what does that question? What does that person mean by that? I think a lot of they they mean hand it to the tailback, sure, and let the offensive lineman and Billy Price talked about this. You know what you're doing. You know that the tailback is coming behind you, either in this gap or that gap, and you're not sort of blocking and wondering. Oh, I don't right because I mean that's a th- think about that. Mm-hmm. These guys block every play, and they don't know who has the ball. Right. So it's like a, yes, you're going your hardest every play, but I think it's a psychological thing of like. This is supposed to be coming behind me, and I'm going to pancake this guy because Mike Weber is running up my back. So that's what people mean by physical, but that's just, you know, like they need to do that some. But, you know, when you have a quarterback who's not as much of a runner, that means the tailbacks are going to run it more. And we've seen that. We saw it with Cardale. We saw it with Haskins last week. As soon as Haskins came in, they started giving it, to Dobbins and Weber more, even if it was still in the read game. It's just that Haskins is going to give it more than JT does. So I, I know people like that. And I think we like that. And I think we think they need to do that more. 
Mm-hmm. But I think it's a misnomer if that's your if that's your only definition of physical. You know, that like, oh, if you want to run, I mean, it's like Michigan and Wisconsin to hand the ball to a fullback. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I get it. Sometimes on third and one, they hand it to a fullback on that quick dive on the first guy through. Ohio State never does that because you know what they do sometimes? They let JT Barrett be the fullback, and sometimes he gets 12. Yeah. That fullback might get that first down. That fullback never gets 12. They get two on third and one. JT Barrett often gets the first down on third and one, and sometimes instead of getting two, he gets 12. And, like, if you're longing for a fullback, those teams are longing for JT Barrett. Right. So. You guys ever had uh, chicken fries from Burger King? Yes. Fast Eddie says, what are your thoughts on chick Fast, Fast Eddie. Fast Eddie Waller. Edward Waller. What are your thoughts on Burger King's chicken fries? I had them for the first time last week with my son after a little backyard football and thought they were delicious. Tim, go ahead. I have not had chicken fries in a long time, mostly because I don't just I just don't go to Burger King anymore. Yeah, really. But I I thought they were pretty good. You know, it's it's a nice change of pace. You combine chicken, which is usually good. With fries. Yeah, which is also <laughs> usually very good. You combine them together, it almost seems like a natural match. It's kind of surprising that you wouldn't just put them together. I think they're just okay. I mean, they're not things I'll... Have you had them? Yeah, I got a whole thing. <laughs> it's like... Strap in, everybody. Do you want it? <laughs> I mean, like, do you want it or not? We're at 120, and we have a little more Big Ten Championship talk. <laughs> I have a whole meat-to-breading crunch ratio when it comes to chicken. Oh, the yeah. chicken fry, you are getting such a greater ratio of crunch to meat. Now, I know some people view that as a negative. They want more of the meat. I want the crunch. So when you think about how much crunch there is in a chicken fry, because you're surrounding that little tube of chicken meat with crunch, 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 as opposed to a giant chicken tender, which is a giant hunk of meat, you're, you're tr- probably doubling, tripling, quadrupling the crunch factor. And I think in fast food chicken, you want the greater crunch factor. It's why you go like the popcorn chicken mm-hmm. at KFC. It's the same thing. As a, as a big white chicken breast or a, a chicken tender, it's just more crunch. So I want more crunch, so I'm pro-chicken fry. Uh, I, want- I also would be in favor of, a, of an actual, if you could make it a straw, like a chicken straw I would do. You use an actual chicken thing, like you cut off both ends and then put it in your drink and suck that. Would you actually do that? I, I probably would. I'm going to lose a little bit of respect for you if that's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would not associate chicken fries with crunch. I always find them like a little soggy, to be honest. Mm. So I'm not a huge fan. Just get the chicken nuggets, man. And then get fries, and then you have both. Uh, Doug DeLillo. Sometimes you just cut through the bullshit, Landis. I gotta tell you. I know I just swore. I'm not supposed to swear on here. That's all right. It's like people are trying to like, hey, let's trick everybody. Let's call them chicken fries. Just get chicken and fries. Like, you just cut through it. You don't go for they don't they can't suck you in. No, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a gimmick guy, you know. No, that is yeah, yeah you're from Philly. That's you're right. not a gimmick guy. That's it's right. this chicken in the shape of French fries. It's a it's a cool gimmick though. It's a fun gimmick. I will say that. Yeah, you're with that. Uh, I'm sorry, I swore. That's okay. <laughs> we could just bleep it out. Some podcasts swear all the time because they think it's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm trying. To, all right, we're gonna we're gonna bounce around here now. Doug DeLillo. Had a Rashawn Gary Nick Bosa question. He said at the end of at the end of year two, who is better and who will be drafted higher? 
I think the answer to both those questions is Bosa, but I thought Rashawn Gary was awesome against Ohio State. Like, much better than he was last year. I thought he was pretty good last year, but he had a really good game against Ohio State. Kind of, like, I, th- I thought gave Ohio State's offensive line a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, but Bosa, I was, so I did a story on this last week and talked to Dane Brugler from NFL Draft Scout about it. That he's like, he said Bosa would be a top seven pick this year. And Rashawn Gary, he says, like, has the potential to be, like, a top 15 pick next year. Now, he could be, like, way better than that eventually. We're talking a year down the line. But Bosa, I think, has, is better now and will be better in a year. I don't know if you guys have Bosa Gary takes. I don't. Not really. I do think both are both are obviously outstanding. Gary was great on Saturday. He lo- he looks the part of the guy that you know was consensus number one in 2016. Mm-hmm. He looks the part. Him and Mar- like even with Maurice Hurst gone at the end of the season, I think Gary's going to be an absolute monster in 2018. And like you said, Gary was the, was like the number one recruit in that class, but Bosa missed. Like most of his senior year, if not all of it, I forget exactly what it is. So like he was a five star, but actually might have been rated higher. Right. He could have been a six star. Yeah. <laughs> um Jesse Bowden wants to know or Bowden wants to know if it's time for Mike Weber to get more carries than J.K. Dobbins. He says Dobbins seems to shy away from some contact and jukes when not necessary. Weber seems the more well rounded back when including pass blocking. I think that Part is true. He's definitely a better pass blocker. J.K. Dobbins will get more carries in my offense. I don't know about you guys. I agree. Uh, Dobbins is just the more explosive running back. He's up two guys. Dobbins is the one guy who can give you turn nothing into something, and that's a quality you want. And that if you have that guy, you get him the football because there's always a chance that he could just turn nothing into something. I, I, I have a one, I have a question. I have not watched it on replay from last week. The J.K. Dobbins run at the end against Michigan where it, like, it looked like he was gone and then he sort he of cut, back cut yeah. for no reason. What is did anyone t- like what happened on that play? I think it's possible he was like trying to run clock. Okay. Because um, he had another like he I, I, he had another run where he was like going to go out of bounds and he stopped himself from going out of bounds. So I think he was aware of the situation. But did they hand it to Mike Weber the next play? And Mike Weber went straight like, to the end zone. Going to the end zone. <laughs> yeah, and Mike he made Weber a, is not here to run clock. No, and he made a great cut too in the backfield on uh, Metellus, who was the guy who also dropped the pick that very likely would have changed the game. And another play which I spotlighted on the Dobbins Jonathan Taylor Big Ten Freshman of the Year debate is. I'm looking at it right now on a GIF. He spins. He ha, Tyree Kennel has him. They meet. They physically meet, and he spins away from him. And he also drags Khalid Hudson for seven more yards. There's a power element that I think people don't realize at J.K. Dobbins when they see the jump cuts. And you're carrying a defender seven yards, especially a guy who's as good as Khalid Hudson. You've got a power ability. He's a muscle hamster. And we were we were talking to J.K. Dobbins on Tuesday night. Have a story about him and Jonathan Taylor uh, Wednesday or Thursday. He was saying, when we're talking about freshmen playing, um, that obviously everybody knows blocking is part of that, whether it's lead blocking for JT Barrett or in pass protection. And he was sort of saying, like, I'm not Mike Weber in that. That I do Hmm. think people need – J.K. Dobbins knows it. I think people who watch know it. Like, that is an underrated – maybe not underrated, but people know that. Mike Weber is a great lead blocker when used. He can be a fullback. And he also is – he's older and he's better at pass protection, and that matters. I think we can also say that the idea of the Dobbins Weber backfield is not going to happen. Yeah, that's dev. That's not getting off the ground. Um, I think I'm out of questions. Whew. We hit a lot. Like I didn't ask the question specifically, but we hit on all the topics. I think. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, I think we're good then. I think we can be good. Um, 
I think so. We'll have our picks up Friday, our video picks. Um, I think it's going to be a good game. I mean, I, I am not in the situation where I was in 2013, where I was thinking that uh, that Michigan State had no chance against that Ohio State team. Um, I don't think it's going to be like 2014. I don't. I do think at times Wisconsin is just a team that just cannot match up playmaker wise with Ohio State sometimes, and that it's just a matter of. If Ohio State can find a way, I felt like in 2014, like Wisconsin just could not cover guys. Sometimes couldn't cover Devin Smith, and so that just like it's just a reality. So it's like I think it's possible that I don't know how the game. Maybe like they just like can't figure out a way to deal with Paris Campbell, or they just like cannot figure out Johnny Dixon. Like I think that's possible. If Wisconsin wins, it's because they just do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that, but Ohio State has to make sure they do that. So I think, as much as like the play of calling has progressed, it's still a little weird sometimes. Like it feels like they're not maximizing their talent at times. And I also still think this team, this Ohio State team, for as good as it is, has a greater lay an egg potential than most Ohio State. I think than any Ohio than any Urban Meyer team, mm-hmm. and more than almost any team that I've covered that. That Iowa idea, I mean, they can't get rid of it in the playoff talk, but you also can't get it out of your head of, like, what happened that day? And then they go out, and we know, okay, so now we know that JT had the crazy pregame injury against Michigan. They went out and fell behind to Michigan 14 to nothing, and then JT Barrett hit a defender in the chest with the pass, and if he makes that catch, that game might get away from you, and it never comes back. So, like... And that was like a Michigan team that had some problems. So, like, if they do that to Wisconsin, like, if they fall down, what's before we? What happens if Wisconsin goes ahead fourteen nothing? I don't know. I think, I mean, they were down fourteen nothing to Penn State, and I think Penn State's better than Wisconsin. So, it would obviously not be ideal for Ohio State to get down in that hole. But I, I'm like, they were down sixteen to six, I think, last year at Wisconsin, and they came back and won. I think they're okay. actually a pretty good comeback team. So I'm if they're down fourteen nothing, I'm not panicking. Okay. Until when we get to three scores, but And Wisconsin also, by the way, got a huge lead on Penn State last year in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, and then yeah. Penn State rallied. Yeah, I so I, I was gonna say I do think getting off to a good start is gonna be important because I mean you just mentioned Penn State, Iowa, Michigan. Those are three key games in the last five, six weeks that Ohio State just has not started well in. So they I, I think it's gonna be an important emphasis for those guys to want to get off to a good start because against Wisconsin, you want to control the flow of the game as much as you can. If you can do that, you have a better chance to dictate how much how much Wisconsin doesn't lean on the run. If you can make it closer to, as close to 50-50 as you can, I think you like your chances. Wisconsin's going to run no matter what the score is. That's just what they do. But It's going to be important for them, I think, especially right off the get-go, just find a way to control the tempo of the game. And you, so they got, they got blown off the field by Clemson to end last year. Mm-hmm. They got bakered against mm-hmm. Oklahoma and whatever happened against Iowa. But if this is a game, like, again, people always talk about Ohio State loses big games because everybody, when they talk about big games, they forget the big games you win. If this is close, I think Ohio State will win because Ohio State wins close games. Now they lost at Penn State last year, but that was a special teams block. It was like Penn State in two thousand fourteen. 
Double Wisconsin double. last year, Penn State this year, like Michigan last year, Michigan this year. That's just sort of, it's in their DNA. It's what they do. They know how to do that. And when you look at a Wisconsin team that just has not been challenged as much, you know, like it's just, if, if they can stick around, like if they get down 14 nothing and they don't let it turn into the Iowa game, which was the weirdest thing about the Iowa game is that you thought, okay, they're down. And then they were tied. I mean, they were tied 17-17 or whatever when the Nick Bosa got kicked out. It's yeah. like, well, they're going to hang around and then pull away at the end or find a way at the end. And then it was like, oh, no, they lost by 30. It was 17-17, and like eight seconds later it was 31-17, and it was halftime. Yeah. <laughs> but you expect, I think a lot of people have been conditioned because they do do that. Like, yeah. whatever it is, I mean, that, and that is that is a thing. They did it in Indiana. The main thing of that is talent. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing. But they are also a winning program that is used to winning. And this is like a cliche, but part of it is true. Like, they know what – they don't panic. They don't. You know what? Like, JT doesn't panic. JT does not panic. Which I think is like – Dwayne Haskins played really well at the end of the Michigan game and I thought looked pretty cool. Um, I don't think we know enough about him yet to know whether or not that, that he's like that all the time. I thought Urban Meyer had a, had a very interesting quote about Dwayne Haskins on Sunday, where and I forget exactly what the wording was, but he essentially said like we, he's too low key. Someone said like, oh, he's pretty low key, and Urban said, yeah, we're trying to get him to break out of the low key thing. Um, it's a very coach thing to say when Urban talks about like the competitive spirit of a quarterback. JT has that, however you want to define it, and I think they're still trying to mold that with Dwayne Haskins. I mean, I do think in the end, one of the greatest things that has been like a a hard thing for, I think, us to get our head around, I think we've done it by now, um, but with JT, is that he is both the guy who is absolutely screaming at his teammates in the locker room. And I think 11 Warriors had a video from before the game of him dropping F-bombs with yeah. guys in a huddle on the field, uh-huh. absolutely like... A maniac. But yes. then in the moment, he absolutely is unshakable. Mm-hmm. He is absolute fire and then absolute cold as ice. And that is a very... Like, Baker Mayfield is like, fire, 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 fire. Yeah, That's why he grabbed his crotch. <laughs> and that's great. I'll take fire, 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 fire. Yeah. And Dwayne Haskins and what Urban Meyer is getting to might be chill, 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 chill. Mm-hmm. So for the the ability to be fire, fire, chill, chill, fire, fire, chill, chill, that's not easy. And JT's done it for five years. Yeah. I will say the one thing I'm curious about is, you know, the mentality of the two teams. I mentioned at the top of the podcast about the two different paths that they've taken to get here. Ohio State has been in tight games all at, th- throughout the season. They've been tested. Time and again, they haven't passed the test all the time. Obviously, Oklahoma and Iowa speak to that, but they've been tested. Wisconsin has not been tested. Their two toughest games were at home, Northwestern and Michigan. Their two toughest games, and they were at home. At Camp Randall, which I've talked about, is a massive, massive advantage. So I think, I wonder, I'm imagining part of the game plan, see what happens when Wisconsin gets down two touchdowns. What happens then? Because that's a situation that that team has not been in, I don't believe, all season. And the one thing is, I mean, we saw it. Again, it was at Camp Randall, but Wisconsin went toe-to-toe with them last year. But then they didn't have the horses to win in the end. And and it's like, is that... Like, do you think, like, if you play that game last year ten times, that it's 5-5? Or do you think it's, like, 8-2 Ohio State? Because 
given the closeness and the whatever, in the end, Ohio State's going to be the one that's going to pull it out. I think it's 8-2. I think oftentimes, like, in the moment, you're like, man, this is a toss-up. And then you, like, look into the boxer a little bit, like, man, Ohio State completely dominated them in the second half. Yeah. So I think that's that's usually what happens. It happened against Penn State. Like, it was a one-point game, but statistically, it was more like a 14-point game. And no one is predicting an overtime game in the Big Ten Championship. But, like, they are often a great – they're built for overtime. Because yeah, then they just they just slam you with the run game. They get after you. Their their pressure defensively gets going, and it's like if they drop you for like one tackle for loss, changes the whole drive, the whole situation. And they're built for that. And then they just when they need to, like short field, they just like let JT run, mm-hmm. and they win. So I think if it's close, I think you can see that Ohio State has an edge. But I think there would have been a time I think in the middle of this season. Where I would have been like, eh, eh, I, I don't. I think Ohio State wins that without much problem. Do either, and I'm you, not there anymore. I was gonna say, do either of you think blowout win is on the table? I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I think like like the passing game that we have seen at times this year, just like, oh look, they can't cover them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, huh? Oh yeah, they can't. Uh, yeah, they can't cover them. Like and, and again, we're talking about there were two Wisconsin defensive backs who made first team all Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's going to happen. But I think I have seen it before with my own eyes, where a like Wisconsin has all Big Ten players, and then it's like, oh yeah, like Wisconsin has all Big Ten defensive backs. Like we think Ben Victor's not that good. And it's like, oh yeah, they can't cover Ben Victor at all. Like yeah. that's there. So you know. Whatever, like twenty percent chance of that. I, I, I think it's possible. I don't. It's like, do I? I don't know. Is do you think it's out there? Is it out there? Of like, oh yeah, look, see all those three hundred pound guys Wisconsin has. Yeah, like Ohio State can't do anything with them. Wisconsin could just get five yards of carry every time they run the ball, and they just run off like six. I was gonna say six ten minute drives. That's like the whole <laughs> game, <insane>. literally. <laughs> but they just control. They just have four 80-yard touchdown drives, and it's like Ohio State cannot do anything. Run, run, play action. Run, run, play action. And they look helpless. Is that on the table? Yeah, that's like the Iowa plan, but Wisconsin has better players. So, so I think it's on the table, yeah. yeah. I think it's – I'm somewhere in the neighborhood of Doug, although I think it's more like 10 15%. I just think when I look at Ohio State, just from a pure talent standpoint – I feel like they have more talented guys north than Wisconsin. Wisconsin recruits their guys to a system, and they've run the system so well for so long that they have guys who are perfect fits for for who they want to be, and they get the most out of those guys consistently. Ohio State just gets really good football players, and you and there's always that potential just because they have more talent. And I feel like even though Ohio State's passing game is up and down, there's always that potential, like you said, Doug, of those skill guys for Ohio State just being matchup problems, so like Dakota Dixon just cannot cannot hold Johnny Dixon from going deep sixty yards on a touchdown pass or something like that. That potential is always on the table. I do think it's it's going to be a lot closer than 59 nothing. I do think that is not going to happen. I don't believe because I think in some ways that game was just such an anomaly compared to all the other Ohio State Wisconsin games we've seen in history. Throughout history, those games have usually way more often than not, been very close. Do you think, by the way, and then we'll be done, 
Has, and I ha, I don't watch every Wisconsin game, so I don't know. Do Wisconsin fans ever go like, what are we doing with the play calling? What is happening? What's wrong with these guys? Or does Wisconsin just like call the same game every every week and it's the same thing? I would think as much because like we've seen like completely different offenses at times this year from Ohio State. Based on the <laughs> the, the splits and the percentages, I think they've ran like seventy percent of the time, and Jonathan Taylor's got almost forty six percent of the carries. To me, that would sound like they would just have the same plan regardless. Like, we are who we are. We know what we're going to do. It's like you go back to the USC days of we're running student body left or student body right. Go ahead and stop us. Maybe that's that's probably the Wisconsin mentality. So, like, there's a chance that after the game on Saturday, Ohio State fans will be like, Kevin Wilson, what were you doing? But, like, Wisconsin fans probably don't, like, they don't do that, right? Sorry, I'm distracted by the fact that Mississippi State is hiring Joe Moorhead. What's happening? Yeah, like it's it's a done deal. Done deal. I how much? I just didn't want to say anything. How much of a of a blow is that for Penn State? It's huge, depending on who Frank like Herman esque. Joe Moorhead saved James James Franklin's job, so he has to make a similar hire. You know who I think will hire the guy who's coaching at Fordham now in place of Joe Moorhead, who runs the same offense for real. <laughs> yeah, why not? Who's that guy? I don't know what his name is, but he's, he exists. Well, we know Penn, Penn State's <laughs> offense is not when you graduate when you lose Trace McSorley, and most likely, more way more likely than I'd say Juan Berkeley, your offense just. They're not going to lose Trace McSorley, are they? He's not a senior. He's not, he's not going to the NFL. I thought he was a senior. I don't think he's a senior. But well, either way, Tommy we, Stevens is going to be just as good. Either way, when you lose Saquon Barkley, your Sean offense Clifford. just won't be the same. I mean, they're going to run the same stuff. It's like Ohio State didn't completely change his offense because Zeke Elliott left. But it'll be interesting, like. Uh, Ohio State, <laughs> I think I get to say it. We're an hour and 40 minutes in, and guess what I get to say in this podcast? Unexpectedly, you bring this in as a bonus at the end. Tim Beck. Tim Beck! <laughs> <laughs> that's like the last That's like the last square on the Doug Lamoury's bingo board. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hire Tim Beck, Penn State. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Can you imagine just like if like uh, yeah, if we're like Urban, what would advice would you have for James Franklin? You know, and trying to replace a really talented. Oh, just don't get a Tim Beck. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seemed like it's like a, it's like a not Tim Beck specifically, but just a Tim Beck. Don't Beck yourself, James Franklin. Um, interesting hire. Interesting hire. And it's funny we've been talking like someone asked Urban about this the other day. And we had theorized about Chip, I think it was last week, about mm-hmm. Chip Kelly stealing Ryan Day. It's like Dan Mullen is putting Urban's old Florida staff back together yeah. at Florida because a bunch of those guys were with him at Mississippi State anyway. It's like Urban is building, like I, I, like I wonder, I don't, I don't know. There's no Florida guys here now anymore with Urban other than like Pantone and Mickey Marotti. Ryan Day was GA. But but, that's not, that's but I wonder help. I wonder like because Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State and it's like they're Dan Mullen and Urban are, are boys but you know it's like oh if you would you wouldn't be in a hurry to be like oh I'm gonna follow Dan Mullen like I'm le- I'm leaving Urban like Stadrawa though Stadrawa was at Bowling Green with Mullen and Urban you know like yeah yeah so I don't know it's just interesting of 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 Urban's Urban has a lot of, and this whole like the whole Shiana thing. Like this is a very interesting coaching off season, and we've already we've written and talked about Urban's coaching tree for a long time. Urban has a lot of influence on a lot of these things that are happening. Yeah, that he has little connections to things here and there, and you just wonder what the if there's going to be change to the staff at all as a result of any of this. If you think Shiano's going to stay, who else might go? Whatever. But anyway, 
Um, all right. Well, congratulations to Joe Moorhead, who seems like a fine fellow. Go from Fordham to Mississippi State in two years. Not yeah, it's like, why would the Fordham coach give up being a head coach to go to Penn State? That? So it's coaching the SEC and making, I don't know, $3 million? Yeah. Um, Fordham doesn't pay $3 million, do they? Uh, no. No. All right. He's Bill Landis. Follow him on Twitter at BillLandis25. He's Tim Bielek. Follow him on Twitter at Tim Bielek. Read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and anywhere else you find the finest, finest podcasts. We will be in Indianapolis on Friday for an afternoon news conference with Paul Christ and Urban Meyer. So look for coverage of that. We have stuff coming this week still on the running backs. Uh, I'll have a Paul Chris story. We'll have some Denzel Ward stuff. We'll have some more Dwayne Haskins stuff. Um, we're, ba- we're breaking down Noodle Arm, who is, again, <laughs> a, a, a strong noodle. Um, we're breaking down the running backs. Um, so we're, we're going to get you guys ready for this uh, uh, Big Ten Championship game on Saturday night. It should be interesting. Um, so thanks for following along all this season. We will continue the podcasts. I don't think we're going to do um, – not think. We are not going to do a post-game podcast Saturday night because the game's going to end at 1 o'clock in the morning. So don't look for that Sunday morning. We will do a podcast Sunday afternoon as soon as all the playoff stuff is sorted out. So the podcast will be about Ohio State's playoff uh, bowl destination, whether it's the playoff or not, plus what happened in that championship game on Saturday night, if they lost, if they won, whatever. We'll break that all down, but that won't be up till more like Sunday afternoon. And then we'll continue these podcasts um, at least once a week um, through to the bowl. And then probably when we get to the bowl site, we'll probably do every day if we can. We did that last year. So. Anyway, thanks to you guys as usual. We appreciate you uh, listening. We appreciate you reading. um, And we'll have some fun on Saturday night. So for Bill and Tim, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.